Have any of you read the book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Used to read that book to our kids. Uh, we don't anymore. You, we did when they were little. And it, it's, a, it's trying to get them to start uh, seeing things, identifying. I believe there's a, what do they call that, retention? You know, can you remember what you read? And kids get so good at it that they memorize it, right? And they don't actually know how to read. <laughs> they just know, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? And they look over and they say, a red bird looking at me. And then red bird, red bird, what do you see? A yellow duck looking at me. And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And at the end, it's finally a bunch of kids, you know. It's usually read to children, sometimes in groups. And they're all pretending they're the animals. But the goal of, the, of this story is to see them, they have to get it. It's not just reading it to them. There's something about the story where now they are taking this information in and they are, they are being able to say, I see a red bird, right? They don't know how to read, but they know how to see. And I felt like this morning that the Lord wanted to ask us, what do you see? All throughout the Old Testament, God is asking his people that question. A lot of the times it's to prophetic individuals, like he said to Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I saw a branch of an almond tree, or I see a boiling pot. Ezekiel, when he asked him, I see a flying scroll. Amos, he said he saw a basket of summer fruit, because God wanted them, that he needed people who could see and hear what the Lord was doing in the midst of chaos. When things were looking poor and when things were looking great, what do you see? What do you see? I think it's important that we also see what God is doing in this time. In your life, it is important that you see what God is doing. Are you distracted? Is your vision clouded? Helen Keller said this once. He said, the only thing that's worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. The only way I could describe that is I got these glasses here for youth group. We do a back to the grind event. And these are not any ordinary glasses. These are glasses, if you can't see them, they, they have lines in them. There's plastic, there's, there's debris in the way. And you could say, Josh, Josh, what do you see? And I'm going to say, I see plastic in front of my face. That's how the book goes so far, because it's distracted. I have vision, or I have sight, but I have no vision. I, and then even, if, let's add it a little bit more, because we have fun at youth group. Let's light it up. This is what it's like for you in your world, right? This is what it's like when chaos is going on. It's like, I have, I have sights, but I have no vision. I believe that the Lord is kind of going to call us today is, what do you see? Do you have the vision of what the Lord is doing in your life? With that being said, if you turn with me to 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 17, just to give you a little background real quick, we're going to be talking about two individuals. One name is Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was one that would see things and hear things. He was the preacher of that day, you could say. He's looking at what the Lord is doing in the world, what the Lord is doing. Even though the people of God don't see it, he can see it and he's telling people. 
He's hearing what the Lord is doing. He's tell, that's what a prophet does. That's what a preacher does. And guess what? We're all called to be prophets. Amen? So back then, this is him. His name's Elijah. He's gotten himself into some trouble. He's got some people who really don't like him. Uh, nasty, nasty king, nasty, Ahud, nasty guy. His wife Jezebel, even worse. Jezebel, you've heard that name before. I always think it's interesting when people name their kids that. I'm like, do you know? Do you know who that is? So maybe, you, you know, like, it's like, hey, this is my daughter Jezebel and this is my other son Judas. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hopefully those names don't get popular. But anyway, so, they, so he's got these people nasty at him and he goes and, and God provides him. He says, go to this brook. And he supplied ravens to come bring him food in the midst of a drought because Elijah said there will be no rain until God says there's going to be rain. So when he's in this, he's hiding out in this brook. And when, and when he's doing that, this is what happens. This is where we pick up. He's hiding there. 1 Kings 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. He's, God said, go at once to Zarephath. Now that is where Jezebel's hometown is. Go to the hometown of the woman who wants to kill you <laughs> in the region of Sidon and stay there. It says, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. That's the other person in the story and who we're going to be looking into and discussing a little bit more further. So verse 10, it says, he went to Zarephath and when he had came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so may I may have a drink? And then verse 11, as she was going to get it, he called. This is a total guy move right here. I was joking about this with Pastor Scott. Hey, could you get me some water and bring me please a piece of bread? Could you get me some water in a sandwich? Please, that's a total guy move, right? Elijah, you know, give me some water. Water was a normal thing to give. That's a sign of hospitality. But he heard from the Lord that he had appointed this widow, that he has commanded this widow. So he's like, well, maybe this is it. Can you bring this piece of bread? And this is how she responds in verse 12. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I, have, I, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son. <laughs> that way we may eat it and die. Welcome to Pioneer Christian Fellowship. I hope you leave feeling that will just end right there. <laughs> Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, make me a small loaf of bread. Now, hold on. I know that could sound really, in, that sounds, when you read it, you're like, he is so insensitive. She just said she doesn't have anything, and she's going to go make her last meal and die. And he says, yeah, 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 go ahead. Uh, before you do that, uh, can you make me bread first? <laughs> There's a reason why he's doing that. He's teach the Lord is doing this. The Lord is in this. The Lord is teaching a lesson here. Do not be afraid. Go and do that. Make a small loaf for me. 
and what you have, uh, bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of uh, the Lord sends rain on the land. Verse 15, so she went away and did as Elijah had told her. How many of you know that your problems wouldn't be so many problems if you just did what the Lord asked you to do? So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, and the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the Lord spoken by Elijah. So that's where we're hearing this story. This woman is sight, but she doesn't have vision. She can see that her resources are, are, are all but gone, And she can look at the natural, but she has no vision for what the Lord is doing. She has no vision to see what he's doing. I believe that the Lord has been, I think anyway, that for us this in this, there's so much in this, right? I went on like a thousand bunny trails when I was studying this out. There's so much here. But today, I I feel like the Lord wants us to see some things. Like, Josh Whitby, Josh Whitby, what do you see? I see God doing things all around me. I came up with that just now. That works. I almost said I see 300 people looking at me, but that that wouldn't have worked. So if you're writing down notes in this story, the first thing is this. I see my future. What do you see? I see my future. Will you say that with me today? I see my future. I believe that's prophetic in nature. The, Lord, the woman said here, she's like, I'm going to make my last meal for my son. I'm going to gather these sticks. I got a little bit of oil. I got a little bit of flour. We're going to make our last meal. We're going to die. I'm dead. This thing is over. You know, she's dealing with something I think that a lot of us deal with in this day and age. It's fear. But the funny thing about fear is fear doesn't always feel like that that uh, fear, like you ever walk in the woods at late at night and you're by yourself? This is why I, I love hunting, but I hate that part. And you're walking and you're like, oh, please, please, God, please, 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 please. Like that kind of terror is usually what you think of when it comes, when it comes to fear. It's like, is there going to be a wolf? I, I've heard there's wolves around here. I've seen them on Facebook. I've seen cougars. I, apparently they don't exist, but you wouldn't know that by looking at the internet. And it's like, that's the type of fear... <laughs> Everybody shares those. Look at the cougar I found in Machias. No, you didn't. That's the fear. But how many of you know fear doesn't always feel like fear? Sometimes it feels like hopelessness or depression. I have a a really close friend of mine who battles an anxiety disorder. And for those of you who know know what that's like, uh, he came into the hospital thinking that he was dying. And I mean, multiple times thinking he's dying and they run all the tests and they're like, you're not dying. You're, you're actually in, you're depressed. I don't feel depressed. I'm afraid I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. You're just, you're, you're, you're battling some anxiety. You're battling some fear. That's what it is, right? So it's more than just terror. It's more than just that fright. Sometimes it's much deeper See, because here's what she's going, these, the, she's got this fear that it's over, this fear that it's her last meal, it's over, and Satan will always, always tell you that that last sentence is the end of your story, but listen, it's only the end of your chapter, 
God's got another page. He's still got a pen in his hand and he's still writing your story. Whenever the enemy tells you that, just say, no, my God's still got a pen in his hand and he's writing my story. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to kill, steal. He wants to destroy. He wants to deceive you. He's the father of lies. So he's always going to show you the circumstances in your life, make you think of the here and now and say it's over for your life. I'm here to tell you your story isn't over. I'm here to tell you that there is still a chapter that God is writing. There's still a story that he's doing. Jesus said it would be like this in the last days. In Luke 21, 26, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell you, you can find it there for those of you who like taking notes. It says that there will be fear and terror. There will be this, this spirit of fear in the final days. How many can say, I've seen that today. I see terror today. I see fear today. All you got to do is wake up and look at your stinking fear box that you got next to your bed. Start scrolling on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now. You start scrolling, you start looking, and it's fear, fear, fear. The Republicans are doing this. The Democrats are doing that. Fear, fear, fear. Pinning people against each other. Then you look at it and you're like, well, maybe there's something else. Let me look at world news. Putin, Ukraine. Oh, okay. Maybe if I look at the weather. Hurricanes. We're all going to die. It's like you can't get away from it. And, you know, if the news could make, for those of you on on social media, just watch the news. Guess why they show you negative news? Because they make money on negative news. They make money on fear. If they could make money by giving you good news, they would, but they can't. So we're, we're in, our whole life is just, we're in this thing constantly over and over again. I can think of it like, I had never... I had never been afraid of or worried about or anything like that. People stealing things off my porch. You know, UPS people put the things there. There's people who steal things off of porches. Until I got stuck in one of those algorithms where I liked a couple of those videos and now it's everything I see. Oh my gosh, you would think that everybody's having things stolen. You would think everybody with a Kia in arcade is getting it stolen. Because those videos are just, look at this Kia stolen, this Kia stolen, this Kia stolen. I'm like, don't buy a Kia, apparently. It's the fear. It's that technology that wraps us up in here. That's, that's what our, our world is dealing with, is the spirit of fear. That's what Jesus said would be in the last day. But how many of you know we have not been given a spirit of fear? there's two contending spirits here. The fear, and we haven't been given that. We've been given the Holy Spirit, Amen. And the Holy Spirit doesn't doesn't focus on the here and now. In fact, what happens in Acts 2.17, this is what happens when the Lord comes upon you, when you're filled with the Spirit. Here's what happened. It says, Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What is prophecy? It's future talk. Prophecy isn't, well, thus saith the Lord, I believe. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is speaking to your future in line with what God has called you to do. When God, God doesn't like looking at the past. God likes looking at the future because that's where he wins. That's where you win. You are with him. You are on the winning side. We need to look towards our future. The first thing that happens, but I... Actually, 
I wasn't going to do it. Just show me the next one. Look what comes after prophecy in the last days. So first thing you're going to be prophecy. Then your young men will, will see visions. And the old men will dream dreams. That's all future talk. What do you see? I see my future. I see what God is doing. Some people get mad at me and they're like, Josh, you, sometimes I get told that I'm too optimistic. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I'm told that. With, uh, with people who aren't Christians, I, listen, with Christians it's weird. Sometimes I get negative. I don't know why. But with Christians, when I'm talking about what's going on in the world, I know that I have a hope that they don't have. So I want to make sure that I'm letting that sucker shine. We should let that shine more, more often, shouldn't we? So this, this, people say, hey, you're just, you're just caught up. You're just caught up. No, it's more like Hebrews where I'm going to take the word of the Lord and I'm going to make it an anchor to my soul. So when I'm stuck in an area where things are happening around me, I'm not delusional. I am just somebody who believes that God is going to do what he said he would do. It's not your last meal. You're not going to die. It's going to be okay. Because we need to see our future. Hopelessness is not part of this. God is there giving us hope for the future. He wants us to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> Amen. I feel, I feel like somebody just needs to hear this. I don't know. Just because it's been one way doesn't mean that's the way it's always going to be. And sometimes we look too much in the past and not into the future of what God's doing for us. Because we believe in a God that you will not die in a famine. We believe in a guy who, a God who restores. We believe in a guy who can flip the enemy uh, on his head. We believe in a God who can, who can give you provision in a time of, of desperation and lacking. He's a God that comes and turns things around. We had a whole sermon series about redemption leading up to Easter because we believe in a God who can do the impossible. Just because she said that was her future doesn't mean that was what God had in mind for her. Her future in her brain was death, but God's future in his, that's why we got to see what he's seeing. You might be able to see, but you just got the glasses that are going all crazy and you can't see what God's doing. So see what God's doing. Get his vision for your life, his future. Ask him because he sees it. Number two. What do you see? I see purpose. Look to your neighbor and say, I see my purpose. Purpose is so important. You, you know, remember the book, The Purpose Driven Life? One of the number one best-selling books in America. And it was about God's purpose for your life. You know, people are hungry for purpose. And I believe that purpose is the thing that sustains you. I was talking with Pastor Scott this the other day. It's the only way I could say it, is purpose sustains you. If you look in our original text here in 1 Kings, in, in verse 9 it says, Go at once, this is what God told Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. This word directed is interesting. 
Uh, some of you, if, if you have your Bibles, you might have commanded. Does anybody have commanded as your word? Some other people, you might have uh, some uh, various, maybe other things like that. Here, here's the only problem. Um, you know how, like, listen, you guys realize this wasn't written in English. Everybody's on the same page. This was written in, and this would be ancient Hebrew. So with this, they, they didn't have the vocabulary we have. We have, word, we, have way, we have so many words. It's incredible how many words. They had, in some cases, hundreds of words. We have thousands upon thousands, and we're making new ones up, like selfie, right? So they only had a certain amount of words. So the best way, if you're going to translate this based on the context in the Hebrew word, it wouldn't be directed. Because if it was directed, she would have already known Right? If God said, I commanded her, when Elijah showed up, she would have been like, oh, hello, there you are. I got a meal for you. Come on. <laughs> she would have known if she was commanded, right? Am I crazy? She would have known. She would have been like, hey, I got a pizza in the oven. Come on. I knew you were coming. God told me. No, she didn't even know. She had no clue that God had called her. But listen, the better word, I think, is she's been appointed for service. She's been appointed for use, but she don't even know. How many of you think it's true that, that you may be called to something and you don't even know it yet? I can promise you that's true. Because what are you seeing? Are you seeing your purpose? Are you seeing what he's doing? She didn't hear from God prior to this moment, but that didn't change the purpose and calling that God had on her. I think it's interesting, too, that Elijah's coming into this, and he's dependent on this physical oil, but she's dependent on his spiritual oil. He needs, he needs something to sustain him physically. She needed a word from God. So they both needed each other as much as the... It's not just like Elijah's the hero of the story or she's the hero. They're both obeying the Lord together in the purpose of what God has called them to. I think that's where miracles happen is when we're all obedient to what the Lord is leading us to do. It's like, I need you guys just as much as you need me. Yeah, believe it or not, pastors, we need people. I, I don't know, you know. I'm not gonna act like we don't. We need you, but you need... You need a pastor. You don't like me, go down to the one down there. Find a pastor because we need this. It's a mutual thing that we see going on. But think about how wild this is. This woman is chosen by God, appointed by God for a miracle, and she doesn't even know it. The drought was bad. The food was scarce. And Satan is saying, you can't, you're going to die. And then God jumps in and says, no, nah, that's my girl. And I got plans for her. I got purpose for her. I have things for her to do. She could have just taken those supplies and made, made that, that last meal. She could have done that, but she chose purpose. I want to talk to you just for a moment. This was one of the rabbit holes I got into, and it was a lot of fun. A moment of... Um, of two guys I want to tell you about. One, Sigmund Freud. If you ever heard of Sigmund Freud, great philosopher, he said a lot of things. And another guy named Victor Frankl. V-I-K-T-O-R. Frank with an L. That's how I remember it. These two gentlemen, they, they, they're about, I think they're around 50 years apart. But first was Sigmund Freud, and he was a guy that taught. He taught, he said, the thing that sustains people, the thing that the motivation for life, the thing that keeps human life going is pleasure. 
That's what Sigmund Freud said. Everybody's just looking for pleasure, and that's what keeps you going. That's what, get, that's what gives you the meaning in your life, is pleasure. That's what keeps the human spirit going. But this other guy, Viktor Frankl, he came later, and he goes, you know, I got to push back on that. I got to push back. I don't think it's pleasure that people are, are, are wanting, is this pleasure. I don't think that's what sustains them. I think it's purpose. In fact, he says this, I have it written down. He has this quote, when a person can't find deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. How true is that, y'all? How true is that? Scott and I were talking about it this week, and it is true in everything. What causes somebody... What causes somebody to have the drive of life? It's purpose. It's God's purpose in your life that says, you know, Vic, I don't know if this is true, and I'm just, I, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Viktor Frankl grew up in Nazi Germany and all that stuff, so he had a firsthand account to see what, what, what kept people going, and it wasn't pleasure. It was purpose. But so many people start choosing pleasure because they can't find their purpose. And they're numbing themselves with pleasure. But here's the only problem. You, you, pleasure's not a bad thing. I, I don't know if you knew this. Pleasure's not a terrible thing. Like, that's not a bad thing. Like, when you do something for the Lord, and sometimes the Lord gives you favor, that's great. Pleasure happens. But you don't fall in love with pleasure because pleasure will never love you back. Pleasure will never fulfill you. And so people are numbing themselves with pleasure because they don't know the purpose that God has for their life. We read about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You probably know this. They talk, it talks about there will be terrible times in the last day, that people will be lovers of themselves, lover of money, all that. But then in verse 4, <clears throat> uh, they will be treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we are seeing this in our culture now. We're seeing this now over and over again. We're seeing people that are falling in love with pleasure, but pleasure doesn't love them back. And it's the purpose of God that will sustain you. I said this to Dawson and Michaela the other day. They, for those of you who don't know, they received their licensing from Elam Fellowship for Ministry. I can remember going through that, and I told them, and they know this. They already know this. But I told them, I said, do not, like, don't get into it for the money, because there ain't none. Don't get into ministry for, for the fame, because it's not fun. Don't, give, don't do those things. The pleasure is what I was talking about. It's the purpose of God that raises inside of you, says you can do this. I've called you. That gets you to go, yes, I can. That's what gives me purpose. It's not the praise and rejection from man. It is, it is straight from God. That's what I'm praying over their life. That's what I'm praying for yours as well. All right, let's move on. This lady could have easily had taken her oil and her, and her flour and made her bread and had her last meal. She could have chose pleasure, but she, she could have done that. And she, listen, she would have had a full belly, but she would have had, she would have died. She would have had the full belly of pleasure, but she would have died and she chose purpose. So what do you see? I see the purpose that God has given me. And I want to choose that as well. Okay, my last one is this. What do you see? I see the possibility. 
I see the possibility. When Elijah asked her for bread, she said, you know, I mean, I don't have any bread. I ain't have no bread for you. I only have some oil in a jar, and I only got about a handful of flour. That's all I got. I'm going to get these sticks. I'm going to make a meal for my son, and we're going to die. I've been preaching. I've been doing this thing. I graduated Elam in 2005 and went to Myrtle Beach. So I've been doing this a while. And especially with teenagers, we often say this phrase as pastors. I'm sure Jeff and Scott have said it. We usually say this thing is God will never ask you for something you don't have. But this one doesn't work that way, does it? Because God asked her for bread and she didn't have bread. Yet. She says, I just have a handful of flour. I just have a little bit of oil left in a jar. I, I don't have what you want. And there's times in life where God will call you to, and ask you of something that you don't even know you have yet. Think about how this goes in scripture. You know, like Moses, what do I have? I don't have anything. What do you got in your hand? I got a stick. That'll work. It's funny how this woman is sitting here in this moment. She's, she's positive she's going to die. She's positive this is going to happen. Then God comes, brings Elijah in, and asks for this incredible sacrifice of bread. And you know it was a sacrifice. You know bread is good. It's not like, it's not like Elijah came and said, hey, can I have a salad, please? And she's like, I'm sorry. I just, no, because that wouldn't be a sacrifice because salad stinks. But bread, <laughs> bread is awesome. How many love bread? I mean, when I, when I have to do a low-carb diet, oh, that's the worst. I just, I love it. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're so good. It's like, a, I, like I have dreams of Italian bread. Oh, 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 oh. It was a sacrifice. But she didn't have bread yet. She only had flour and oil. She, only, she had the ingredients for what God was doing, but he was looking for action. It was one thing to say this, like, yes, yeah, see, sometimes God calls you and asks you to do something. You're like, I don't have enough. I only have this. My life is jacked up. I, I cussed the other day and I kicked my dog or whatever. Good. God can use that. Believe it or not, he can use you. Even how messed up and difficult you are because this makes this. And you can't, you can't have this without this. You need to have these ingredients. And sometimes in your life where you're saying, I don't have what it is. Man, I'm not a pastor. I'm not up there. I didn't go to school for this. God's like, that's cool. You got the ingredients. Let's go, to, let's go cooking. Let's go bake something. Mac, I'm going to ask if you would come up. I feel like uh, this woman could have chosen to focus on her past. She could have done all these things. And instead, she trusted the word of the Lord. Remember, uh, about a year ago, I shared with you guys a message. Um, there was a lot of things in that. And the, the one phrase that kept coming up over and over again is, I got a job and he's got a job. Elijah had a job. It was to obey and go into the scary area and go find a widow and hopefully she'll make you some bread. He had a trust in the Lord in that. Oh, he had a trust. And she 
had to trust in the Lord that he was going to supply all her needs. And even though, you know, it's so funny to me, the thing that just keeps coming up is how God loves to do stuff with little things. Little things. Just a handful of flour and just a little bit of oil left in the jug. And he says, yeah, bring it. We did this, uh, we did this uh, uh, sermon last summer, and I think it was called Problem or Possibility. And in that, I told you about uh, the story of Jesus feeding the, the masses, the thousands of people. And in that, Jesus, you know, they're looking at all these people there, and Jesus tells his disciples, hey, guys, go out there and find some food. And then Philip, if you remember Philip in the story, Philip is like, He's doing the calculations. Um, I did the calculations, and if we go over to Brasses right now and buy all this food, we're not going to be paying it back for 10 years, right? He did all the math. Jesus is like, no, 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 you, you got sight, but you don't got vision. I want you to see, do you see what I'm doing? And then Andrew, <laughs> Andrew says, he comes back, he's like, well, I got some fish and I got some loaves, but not enough I think you could do it because he saw the possibility of what God would do with a little. See, this is like a foreshadowing that we see. All this Old Testament, you see the foreshadowing. How cool is it that Jesus is the bread of life? So much there. But even with Jesus, God called a little baby little things. I wonder for you this morning, how many of you feel like you might just not have the bread? but you feel like you might have some of the ingredients, but you don't think they're enough. I believe God's saying, listen, they might not be enough to you, but they're enough to me. I was reading there in Luke of that woman who gave everything she had. It was only two coins, and he said she gave the most. Those loaves and those fishes were multiplied. All they had to do was obey with the little, and he supplied the rest. This woman, she may not have had a lot, but he supplied the rest. I think it's funny with Jesus too. The, the other thing that just makes me laugh is when they ran out of wine, you remember that at the wedding? And Mary comes over there, you know. <laughs> I think she was mad. You and your homies just drank all the wine. Um, look at Judas. Uh, but it's funny because he said, I need you guys to get water. They're like, water? We don't, or he's, they're asking him for wine. He says, go get water. They're like, Jesus, we don't need water. We need wine. And it's like this lady going, hey, uh, Elijah, you don't, listen, I don't have that. I only have this. But God can do so much with a little. My question to you is, there's this principle, and I think it's Max Licato or one of those, this principle, it's called the law of the lid. And the law of the lid is this. They use it within organizations. They say, if your expectation on the Lord is in your lid is here, you are actually limiting what God can do based off the fact that you don't believe he can do it. So, I mean, for example, there's churches with only 30 people. And the reason why they think that is they ask them, well, how many people do you think you can reach in your community? Churches of, you know, thousands in their community. And they'll, they'll say, uh, I don't know, maybe 40 because the lid is low. I believe that the Lord is asking all of us this morning to blow off the lid. 
Don't hold God back to say what he can do, what he can't do. Don't limit God. Don't say, I only have this. Why don't we just go to his presence and say, God, it might not be a lot, but here's what I got. Will you stand with me this morning? We sang this song. We sang this song. I don't have much, I like, but I have nothing else except for this little hallelujah, this little hallelujah. That's all I got. And I believe that the Lord is saying, what do you see? It's all about perspective. Do you see your future with me and what I have for you? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, thus saith the Lord. He knows what he has for you in their good plans. I want to stick with the plan maker. I want to stick with the writer of the story. I want to stick with him. What do I see? I see God all around me. Lord, I want to be in your future. I want to be a part of that. Lord, I want to. I want you to continue. Right now, Lord, would you just start speaking uh, visions and dreams? Lord, would you be prophesying over the future of some of these people in this room? Lord, I pray that they will see the purpose, the purpose that they have, that you've called them to. That yes, maybe it looks like everything is wrong and broken, but Lord, I pray right now that they will take these glasses off and see what you are doing. Lord, with, your fu- with their future, with their, uh, with their purpose that they have, and Lord, the possibility that God, you can do anything. Help us, Lord. Lord, we've got a job and you've got a job. We know you'll do your end. (laughs) We know it. You are faithful to the end. Help us do ours, Lord. Help us do ours. Father, we want to see what you're doing. We want to be like those prophets in the Old Testament, Lord. We want to be able, Lord, that we can see what you're doing in the world, even when the world's trying to send us all the negativity. Lord, they might not make money (laughs) on telling good news, but Lord, we know we're storing up treasures in heaven telling others the good news about you. And Lord, we're doing that because we want others to see the hope so that they wouldn't be filled with terror in the last days, but filled with the Holy Spirit on the last days. Lord, we proclaim that. For some of you this morning, I just wonder, I'm going to ask you, what do you see? And I, whatever, say, I see my future. Or you could say, I see my purpose. Or you can say, I see the, the, uh, what he could do. Whatever that is, I'm just going to say, and on the count of three, you're just going to respond. You're going to say whatever it is as a declaration to the Lord that says, I see my future. I see the possibility. I see my purpose. Whatever that is. One, two, three. What do you see? Just let it out. I see my purpose, Lord. If you didn't do that, I'm going to give you another option. Let's do it at count of three. One, two, three. What do you see? Let it out. Let it out. Let it be a little bit more. Listen, this is just a and a little bit of a, a way that we can put right now work into what God's doing. Out of your mouth, confess. Because the enemy has been lying to so many of you. The enemy has been lying to you, saying the things that you see are the way that they're going to be. So right now, let's do some spiritual warfare, which is practical, and we're going to come against the enemy, say, my story isn't over. I have purpose in my life. Lord, you can do anything. Lord. Well, we thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And I always say that because I'm so excited about what you're going to do. Lord, let us be a part of it. Lord, let us be a part of it.
we ask, Lord, open up our eyes to see just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil because, Lord, we want to make bread for you, Lord. We want to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen.